Well, if you are new with us, maybe joining for the first time, we are in the final week of a series titled Together. And what we've been doing for the last several weeks is we've been talking about us as a church, both corporately and individually as a church, what, what makes us us, right? We're talking about our, our mission, our, our values, and our vision, and kind of what we do that maybe is different from other local churches in all of our communities. And we're also asking the question and talking about where we sense God might be leading us in the next couple years, both individually and corporately as a church. And if you've been here through this series, you'll recognize that there's been one kind of underlying verse that has gone kind of the the core of this series, and it's found in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verse 20. Paul writes this. He says, now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us, right? Like, he says, not through our power, our strategies, our planning, or our, like, let's do this. No, it says it's through his power at work within us. What's going to happen? He's going to accomplish what? Infinitely more than we might ask or think. Some versions say dream or imagine. The idea here is, is that the God we read about in scripture, when we lean into him, his power, both individually and corporately, when we lean into what God is doing, all of our expectations, all of our plans, all of our hopes and our dreams, he will exceed because he is infinitely more powerful and bigger than we could ever dream or imagine. And we've said that the God we read about in scripture is a bold God. He's audacious, he's, he's big, he, he, he parts waters, he does, he does crazy things, he, he, does, he takes the like, impossible situations and makes them reality. He takes like, ordinary people and makes them do extraordinary things. God is a big, bold God, and because of that, because of what we believe about God as a church, we will behave in such a way. We will be a bold church. We will do bold things. We've said from the very beginning that we are a kingdom-minded, big-dreaming, bold-thinking risk-taking church. We will do what others are not doing in order to build the kingdom of God. It's who we are. It's what we do. And so over over the last couple weeks, we've shared with you just a couple ways that we feel the Lord is is leading us in the next couple years. And the first one, if if you remember, is we said that he is wanting us to introduce more people to the story of Jesus. We said first and foremost that the, the story of Jesus, his, his birth, his ministry, his life, his death, resurrection, and eventual return is the greatest story the world has ever heard. And we want desperately for everyone to hear this story because we believe that when someone hears the story of Jesus, it changes everything for everyone. It is the story that takes people from death to life. And so instead, in order to do this, what we're going to do is we're going to serve our community in new ways. We're going to plant new campuses, and we're going to be the type of church, the type of people that invite others to service with us on a weekly and monthly consistent basis. We want to introduce more people to the story of Jesus. Secondly, we want to strengthen our discipleship culture. We want to be a church that isn't just wide, like a, like a mile wide and an inch deep. No, we want to be a church that while we're reaching wide, we're also going deep. For those of us that have made the decisions to follow Jesus, there's this expectation that we are growing, we are maturing, because disciples never stop growing. And the idea here is that as followers of Jesus, we want to be transformed by our faith in Jesus and multiply that faith in others. We want to be the type of church where when you come here, the expectation is you will not be the same person six months, one year, two years, ten years from now. You will be changed and transformed and different in your walk with Jesus. And where we're going to land this morning is lastly, we said that we want to increase our culture of generosity. We want to increase our culture of generosity. 
And I've said this almost every week, and so this might be recap, but you guys, you guys know this. We live in a, a culture right now, and I don't know if it's just our culture in general. I don't know if it's social media or like, and I hate to say this, like the, the, the divisiveness that comes from politics, but we live in a culture right now where generosity is met with skepticism. Right, like, like let me just paint this picture. If someone was to come to your house today and they were to knock on your door, for one, you might not even answer the door because it's a stranger. But if you did, if you answered the door for a stranger, they would say, hey man, we're just in the neighborhood and we're a, we're a local gutter company and we would love to put all new gutters on your house and we're having a sale today because we're a generous company and we want to do it for 50% off. You immediately would say, what's the catch? Like, do I in turn have to sell gutters to other people to make up for the 50? Like, what do I have to do to get this? Because no one is just generous for no reason, right? We experience this. When someone goes out of their way for us, we say, why? Like, what, what, what's the catch? What's the deal? We are skeptical of generosity. And so we've said that as a church, we want to be unapologetically generous to a world that expects restraint, We want to be unapologetically generous to a world that expects restraint. We want to be the type of church that when people hear the word, the mount, or when they interact with us at Target or wherever we happen to be, they may say, man, I don't don't believe what they believe, like the whole Jesus church thing. I'm not sure about that. But there is something about those people that is utterly different. They are just so generous and so kind, and they willingly sacrifice their wants and needs for others. And that, to me, is attractional, and I want to be a part of that. And so this morning, what I want to do is I just kind of want to, remember, this is something we're going to do over the next couple years. And so what I want to do today is just set some groundwork for this idea of generosity. And if you're taking notes, you might write this down. The first thing you need to know is that we are created to be generous. We are created to be generous. Each and every one of us, every single human being that has ever existed, we are different from the rest of creation. What do I mean by that? Scripture tells us, the Bible tells us, that human beings are made in the image of God. What that means is that human beings, unlike anything else in creation, we have some of the attributes and the characteristics and the qualities and the nature of God deeply embedded in us. We are like a mirror to the world around us. Now, at times, yes, because of sin, our mirror is very broken and fractured, but when we are leaning into Jesus, when the Spirit is living in us at our best, we are reflecting the image of God back to everyone and anyone around us because we are created to be generous. And here's what I know. What does it mean to be in the image of God? One of the most defining attributes of God's character in Scripture is that he is a generous God. He's generous. I mean, we see this all throughout Scripture, We see these moments where it talks about how God is generous with his mercy. He is generous with his grace. He is generous with his love. He is generous with his goodness. He is generous with heavenly blessing. He is generous with spiritual gifts. Over and over again, we are told that God is a generous God. In fact, we see this in one of the most familiar verses maybe in all of scripture. John chapter three, verse 16 says it this way, for God so loved the world that he what? That he he gave his only son. He was generous in giving his son, right? He he could have very easily been up in heaven and the Trinity up there looking down and be like, man, the world is really messed up right now. Yeah, that's pretty bad, but I'm gonna hold you tight, son. No, 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 he, he gave generously his son for our redemption and our rescue so that we could have new life. We also see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, where it says this, you know the what? The generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, 
For your sake he became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. The idea here is that Jesus was abundantly rich, but in his generosity, he gave it all away for us. God is a generous God, and we are created in his image. And that applies to all of us. But specifically for those of us that have made a profession of faith to follow Jesus, what this means, if you're taking notes, you might write this down, that means we are most like Jesus when we are generous. We are most like Jesus when we are generous. If, if Jesus was this generous God, this guy who gave anything and everything for others, and those of us that are making our lives focused on following him and being his disciples and being transformed into his image, that means me, we are most like Jesus when we are generous. Now, let's just pause here for a minute because I know when I say that idea, the word generous, and say we should be generous, we are created like to be generous and all this, you might be like, well, what do you mean, Adam? Like, maybe you're like, okay, like, am I supposed to be generous with my, like, time? Am I supposed to be generous with my, like, money? Is this the money talk at church, right? Like, is this the one I just happened to be at today? Am I supposed to be generous with my, like, resources, like my house and my car? Am I supposed to be generous with my, like, gifts and my abilities and my knowledge and my experience? Am I supposed to be generous? Like, what am I supposed to be generous with? I would say yes, 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 and yes. You are to be generous with all of those things. What do I, what do I mean by that? Because when we see in scripture, Jesus, his generosity covered every facet of his life. Jesus willingly gave his time away to others. Jesus willingly used his resources for others. Jesus willingly used his finances for others. Jesus willingly used his gifts and his abilities for others. And that means for those of us that have made the decision to follow Jesus, Generosity should cover every facet of our lives. There should not be a single area of our life that is not being generous. And this is why you've heard me say this before, but, but generosity is such a vital part of our spiritual formation. Right, like, like the, the idea, just like, just like reading scripture or praying is what helps you mature and grow in your faith. The act of being generous, generous and living a generous lifestyle is an element of our spiritual formation that has a profound impact on the way we follow and believe in Jesus, which is why I've said before as your pastor, generosity is not something I want from you. It's something I want for you. I, I, I desperately I, I desperately want you to experience what a life lived generously feels like. In the same way, I want you to experience what a life full of prayer feels like. What, what a life full of scripture and soaking it in feels like. It's another spiritual discipline that can propel your relationship to new depths and new heights. It's who you are created to be. You are generous because God is generous. And so what I want to do this morning, as we kind of lay some foundation, remember, this is somewhere we're going over the next couple years, let's just lay some foundation on this idea of generosity. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 this morning. And Luke chapter 10, while you are turning there, if, you are, if you've been in church for a while, you're going to immediately recognize this story. If you have not been in church ever before and it's your first time, you are probably going to be like, oh, I've kind of heard this story. We have hospitals named after it. We have nonprofit charities named after it. It's the story known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
And in this story, as you're turning there in Luke chapter 10, just to kind of make sure we're on the same page, what's happening in this story is a religious leader or an expert in the law has come up to Jesus and basically asked the question, teacher, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, man, you're an expert. You're like a great religious leader. Why don't you tell me the answer? And the religious leader says, okay, like I think you're supposed to love the Lord God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yes, that's correct. And this is that moment where the guy should have just disappeared and gone and kind of lived this out, right? But he doesn't. He, he's like that kid who has one more question. And so he asks, he says, but who is my neighbor? And in essence, what he wants to know is, okay, like, if I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, where's the line? Where can I stop loving? In other words, and we're going to use the context, how generous do I have to be before my generosity is enough? And so we're going to pick up when Jesus is answering this question with a story in verse 30 of Luke chapter 10, and it says this. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And so what I wanna do this morning in this passage is show you three different attitudes that we can have around generosity. And the first one, if you're taking notes, you might write this down, is the idea that what you have looks good and I'm going to get it. What you have looks good and I'm going to get it. People who have this attitude are like, man, like that looks awesome, I want that. That looks great, I want that. Man, like that house, that car, that job, like the things you have, I I need those, I want those. We see this in the two robbers as they're walking down the road. We don't know any of the details, but it says they, they steal his money and his clothes. Apparently they wanted his money and his clothes. They saw what looks good and they said, I am going to take that, it's going to be mine. They were thieves, they were robbers. Now, I know that some of you are like, whew, I'm clean here. I've never robbed anyone. I've never stolen from anyone. This is definitely not my attitude. Maybe. But I would argue that there's probably a little bit of the robbers in all of us. Well, what do I mean by that? I think deep down inside, every single one of us, we see things that others have, and we want it. Right? Like in our, in our discontentment, We say, man, I wish I had that house. I wish I had that car. I wish I had that flexibility in my work schedule. I wish I had that or that vacation or that. We we see something that looks good and we want it. It's part of who we are. And and you you guys know this, right? Those of you that that are parents, You've experienced this, right? Like your, your three-year-old Elizabeth, sweet little Elizabeth, your daughter who's so great and so kind and so amazing. There was probably never a moment in your life where you set your lovely little daughter down on the couch and said, mommy and daddy want to have a talk with you. We want to teach you how to take toys from other kids and say they're yours. You didn't do it. But I guarantee you, sweet little Elizabeth or Johnny, whatever your son's name is, if there was a toy they wanted... Mine, mine, and you say, that's not, it's mine, it's mine. I, what they had looks good, and I'm gonna get it, it's, it's mine. There's a little bit of the robbers in us all. And here's what I know. You will never live a life of generosity if this is your attitude. And in fact, if you're, if you're adding a word to this, maybe just jumble it, writing some word on the side, you might write down the idea of grasping. 
People who have this attitude, their life is about grasping. I I want that, I want that, I want that. And it's never enough. They need more, they want more, they have to get more. And if you live your life in this eternal pursuit of more, consistently over and over again, grasping for one more thing, you will never find satisfaction and fulfillment because it's all about what you want, what you need, and you're grasping for it over and over and over again. The second one, verse 31 continues, it says this. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. A priest is like a religious leader. So to a Levite, another religious leader, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. The the idea here is this attitude is the attitude that what I have is mine and I'm going to keep it. What I have is mine and I'm going to keep it. People who have this attitude, they would say like, no, I've worked hard for this. This is mine, it's my stuff. This is my money, this is my house, this is my car, this is my time. I, got, I spend all my time stuck in traffic and work all day. This is my time, this is my weekend and it's mine and I'm going to keep it. We see this in the two religious leaders. The, this, the context of the story is they're going from one town to the other to change shifts in their temple duties. And they had to be there at a certain time, and they had to be clean. They couldn't touch this man. They had to be there on time, though, or they got locked out. And so what you see is them going down the road, and they see a guy who needs help, the guy they should be generous to. But they say, no, 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 this, my, my time is just too tight. It's my time, and I have to get there so I can be at the temple for my time to serve. In other words, they were selfish. I think there's a little bit of the religious leaders in all of us. I think we're all selfish And now, before you're like, dude, just call me selfish. I said, we are all selfish. Well, let me give you an example. Maybe I'm, and I'll just, a moment of transparency here. I think I'm probably more selfish than you. I'm probably one of the most selfish people in this room. Let me me give you an example. And I know, like, confession time, okay? Like, it is, I just, I don't like to share food. Like, so let let me walk you through what this could look like. It's a long day at work. Maybe I've been there till like nine o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night, and I'm on my way home and my two kids are already asleep. My wife's already eating dinner, so I stop and get some takeout on the way home. I get home and I'm exhausted, I'm tired. I put my stuff down, I sit down on the kitchen island and I open up the to-go box and immediately my wife comes walking by and I love her, right? But she comes walking by and she's like, ooh, what do you got there? And I'm like, my dinner. She's like, that looks good. Did you get me any? And I'm like, no. And next thing I know, her fork is going in my plate. And I'm like, this is mine. I don't share food. If you wanted something, tell me. It's mine. Right, don't we all do that? Adam, I worked for this. This is my money. You don't understand how many years I've spent earning this, the things I've had to do with education and this and this. This is my money. This is my time. I spend all my time in traffic, commuting and doing this. You know what, on a Friday night, that's my time. On Sunday morning, that's my time. On Saturday night, that's my time. These, the, the, the gifts I have, the knowledge I have, is to help my career. Those are my gifts, my knowledge, not for other people. My, my resources, my house, the big space I have, that's my house, it's my space where I get to relax, it's mine. Here's what I know. If you're going to add a word to this one, you might add the word holding. People who, this is their attitude, everything is theirs, and they hold it tightly. 
And here's what I know. You will never be generous if your hands are closed. It continues, verse 33. But a Samaritan, so if you were Jewish, this is where you would like boo, right? But as a Samaritan, as he, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on him. But then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, or two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. (laughs) This attitude would be one, if you're taking notes, you might write down, what I have is God's, and I'm going to share it. What I have is God's, and I'm going to share it. This attitude is one where people understand that everything I have, my time, my money, my material resources, my talents, my gifts, everything is God's. And we see this example in the Samaritan. Like, right, he sees the guy, he stops, he uses his time to help him, he bandages up his wounds, he uses his skills and his gifts and his talents to fix him, he puts him on his donkey, his resource, and he takes him to the inn and uses his money to pay for it. He used every facet of his life to be generous to this man. And people who, people who have this sort of attitude or this sort of mindset in their life, what they say is they say, I believe that everything in my life is God's. Every good thing that I have, all of the time that I have, all of the money that I have, all the resources that I have, even the gifts that I have, they're not because I earned them or worked for them. They're because there is an abundantly generous God who has given them to me. And my job, my duty is to be the manager of them in such a way that they are multiplied into kingdom impact for his good and his glory and his purpose. It covers everything. We see this in Luke 10 where as the response to this where the guy basically says this to him when Jesus tells him the story, he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, the Samaritan. And look what Jesus says. What does he say? Let's try that again. That was a lot of mumbling. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. Jesus said, listen, if you are a follower of mine, you need to use your resources like the Samaritan. Go and do likewise. It's who you are. It's what you do. But here's the problem. We, we live in a world, in a culture, where that doesn't make any sense. Because we're told, your time is yours. Use it for you. Your money is yours. Use it for you. Your resources are yours. Use them for you. Your gifts, your knowledge, your experience are yours. Use them to better you and your career and your future. Everything is about you because we're told in society for some reason that the way to find happiness, the way to find joy, the way to find satisfaction and peace and all of those things is by doing what is best for you. But remember, the kingdom of God, as Matthew chapter 5 lays out, is upside down. It is counterproductive cultural. Instead of being the type of person who says all of these things exist for me, the kingdom of God says everything you have exists for him and use it for his purpose. So instead of grasping, instead of holding, you release. And so I just, I just wonder this morning, when it comes to the way you view generosity, are you grasping? Like I want more, I need that, I want that. 
Are, are you holding? Or are you releasing? Are you freely giving? And here's my prayer. I said over the next couple of years as a church, we would find ourselves the type of church and the type of people corporately and individually who recognize that God is the provider of everything and our job is to be a funnel of his grace and his goodness into the lives of others and we will release it for his kingdom. It's who we are. And so here's what I wanna do though, just in the last couple minutes, because it's, it's very easy to hear this and be like, oh man, like, I'm like so behind or horrible or whatever, but remember we said last week when it comes to following Jesus, that the beauty of a relationship with Jesus is that he accepts us where we are, but never intends for us to stay there. And so across all of our campuses and all of our different rooms, we recognize that every one of us can be in a different spot in our spiritual generosity journey. And so I just wanna kind of show you a chart to help you maybe identify where you are. And the first one kind of down here at the bottom would be what I would call spontaneous generosity spontaneous generosity. Spontaneous generosity is exactly like it sounds. It's spontaneous. It's not planned. It's not structured. What, give me an example of this. This is like, man, you're at church one day and you're like, you know what, like, today's sermon was, was, was decent. All right, I'll, I'll slide a little 20 into the offering plate as a tip, right? Like, it's, like, this is spontaneous. Here we go. That was a good one. Or it's like, you know what, I'm gonna be generous spontaneously with my time. I don't ever serve my local church, but I, at, at, at Christmas, they're asking for everyone because there's 19 services. I'll give them an hour of my time then. Or you know what, I'm gonna be spontaneous. I typically don't ever use my house for anything kingdom-oriented. We don't really have any guests over anything. But you know what, for Super Bowl party, I'm gonna invite some friends from work over. I'm gonna be spontaneous. I'm not planned. I'm, I'm going through the Taco Bell drive-thru and my meal's 11, 10, and they're like, would you round up to 12 to support kids and charities? And you're like, yes, I would. I'm spontaneously generous in those moments. For some of you, this is where you are. The next level up would be consistent generosity. These are people who are consistently being generous. They are planning for it. They are creating a system, a structure, a plan of how they are going to do this. They are consistently giving their money to the local church. They are consistently using their time and their gifts to serve the local church. They are consistently using their resources, their home, their car, whatever other resources they might have to help people see and experience Jesus in new ways. What do I mean by that? Maybe they're saying, you know what, like down here, every now and then I let someone in my house. Up here they're saying, you know what, every single Friday night we have a group of single moms at our house and we provide them dinner and care for them. Or every single Thanksgiving we strategically plan where we have people who have nowhere else to go in our homes. We are consistently hosting a small group in our home. We are using our resources consistently in a generous way. Now, I want to pause if you are here this morning and you have not made the decision to follow Jesus, you can like be distracted right now. You can think about fantasy football starting soon. Whatever you wanna do. I wanna, I wanna talk to those of us in the room who have made the decision to follow Jesus and model our life after him as we see in scripture. In scripture, for those of you that have followed Jesus, consistent generosity is the baseline minimum. It's the bare expectation for a follower of Jesus, there is no such thing as spontaneous generosity. It is consistent. We see it in the life of Jesus. He was consistently 
sacrificing different things for the kingdom. We see it in his disciples of what it means to be a follower. It is consistent. And if you disagree with me, that's great. Please go read scripture. And what you're going to see, and this is going to offend some of you, but I, I love you, and so take this as, as nicely as it can. This means that if you are a follower of Jesus and you are consistently being generous with your life, you are in disobedience. And I know that's harsh. And it'd be much easier for me as a pastor to be like, you know, you guys are doing great. Keep it up. No, no, no. We, we, we don't get to where we need to be unless we have some serious conversations. Church, are you consistently using your resources, your gifts, your time, and your money to further the kingdom of God? It is the bare minimum expectation of you. And our third level, and this is where it really gets fun, is spontane- or sacrificial generosity. This is like when, when generosity like moves from like, okay, I gotta do this, like, man, look what I get to do, right? And, 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 and in our culture, you would think like the higher up this ladder you get, the more grueling, the more difficult, the more hard. It's like, oh man, I'm giving up X, I'm giving up Y, I'm giving up Z. But what you find is, again, because the kingdom of God is flipping everything upside down, what we find is, is the higher up in this level we get, when we begin to be this sacrificially generous person, we begin to find more joy, more significance, and more purpose. We begin to almost have this competition of like, can I see if I can outgive God in these moments to see what God is gonna do and he does infinitely more than I could ever ask, imagine, or a dream because he is a big, bold God. Listen, we see this in 2 Corinthians 8, 2 and 3 when Paul's writing to the church in Corinth about the church in Macedonia. He says this, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in what? Rich generosity. For I testify that they gave so much as, they were, as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. They sacrificed to give. They did more than what was required. There's beauty in this. Like their true happiness and joy and life and purpose is found in sacrifice. And you guys get this. Those of you that have a spouse or have a kid, right? Like you, you, would, do, you would sacrifice anything to see your kids succeed. And so here's here's a question I have for you. What are you missing out on because of your generosity? Like, what are you missing out on? Financially, what's the thing you can't do because you're sacrificing for generosity? Time-wise, what's the thing you can't do because you're sacrificing and being generous? What, What about when someone says, do this at their house, and you're like, I can't, I've got this at my house. You're sacrificing for your generosity. What are you missing out on because of your sacrifice? Church, here's what I know. So many times we think the sacrifice is the difficult part. It's the easiest part. And here's what I, Mount Family, we were created to be generous. It's who you are. We are the type of church And the type of people who are generous with our time and our talents and our resources and our money and our gifts, we will be unapologetically generous to a world that expects restraint. We don't just come to church. We are the church. We don't don't just attend. We participate. And because God is a generous God, we participate in the generous acts of God as he builds his kingdom church. The spirit of God dwells inside of you. And when the spirit of God dwells inside people, they are rich and abundant in everything and anything they would ever need in life. Because of that, we we live with this like abundant mindset. 
So, so many times we think, oh man, like it's, it's the scarcity mindset where there's, there's just not enough time, not enough money, not enough resources, not enough of this. And we, we hold it, scar- and when, when things are scarce, we hold it tight because we say, oh, it's going to run out. But what we see in scripture is that God is an abundant God who gives more than we could ever ask, dream, or imagine. And when he is abundant and our life is abundant, it overflows and we can't help but say, I will give and be generous because I know there is a God who will supply everything I could ever want and need. We are a generous church. Here's the question. Will you partner with us in being generous together? Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful for the way that you so willingly gave yourself. You surrendered everything for us. God, I pray that we would be the type of church and the type of people who live generously to show the world what it means to be the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of man. 